Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You know, Katie, I had like a negative sort of relationship to beauty pageants. My sister is obsessed with them. Okay. Like she would watch the Miss whatever, what just like all of the pageants that you could possibly watch. And she would just kind of like rate women. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what people do. They just right. like, oh, she's prettier. I like her better. I like her dress. I don't like, and I always had like, oh, I don't know. I just never, it just never sat well with me. Uh, but this, once I read the script and spoke to the writer director, Channing Godfrey Peoples, she, she was like, no, 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 it's different. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's editor-in-chief, Patrick Gomez, and this week we'll be hearing from Miss Juneteenth star, Nicole Bahari. But first, I am joined by our TV editor, Danette Chavez, to discuss the Golden Globe nominations in the TV categories. Thanks so much for joining, Danette. Sure. Uh, looking forward to digging into these categories. Yes, yes. Um, so last week, we had our senior writer, Katie Reif, come on and kind of discuss a little bit about the piece that you all put up on the website uh, about the snubs and surprises and kind of what SAG got right versus Golden Globes. And we kind of really discussed uh, how many people are part of the the nominating committee in the Golden Globes and in the uh, in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and why there are maybe some surprises among this list of nominees. You know, we can dig into that a little bit, uh, but do you have any general initial thoughts before we dig into the major categories here uh, about the Golden Globes and how they stack up compared to other award shows? I mean, as you guys have already discussed, it's a very insular group. Nobody knows a ton of who's voting from year to year. Um, my my whole attitude towards the Golden Globes has always been, you know, I, I look for the the off the cuff moments in the ceremony, and I don't worry too much <laughs> about the lead up to the actual like show. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's a show that's a good time uh, with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosting this year. I think, you know, we're all going to enjoy it at the very least. There may be, you know, part of the fun of the Globes is like, oh my God, I can't believe they gave it to that person. Or, oh my God, I can't believe that person lost. And it's not that anyone's like, you know, it's not that we hate any of these people nominated. It's just like a lot of times we're just like, well, that's the Globes. They're going to go with the starriest person or they're going to go with like the the new shiny thing in a way that other award shows do to some degree, but I think a lot less. Um, but let's step into uh, these major categories. So we are going to be discussing the best television series, musical or comedy, best television series, drama, and then best limited series or motion picture made for television. But let's kick off with musical or comedy, Danette. Uh, I will go ahead and list those nominees. This year they are Emily in Paris, The Flight Attendant, The Great, Schitt's Creek, and Ted Lasso. Uh, Danette, take it away. What are, what are your thoughts here on this list? I, I know we said that we avoid the attitude of, oh, you know, what's this one thing doing here in place of this other thing? But I don't think very many people can look at the nominations for Emily in Paris and not think some version of that. 
you know, I, I think Lily Collins is such a, a charming performer. Um, but for me, that was one of the kind of glaring, that, that's the closest thing to, to a mistake, right? Among these categories or the closest thing to, to feeling like a mistake among these, uh, nominees. But otherwise, I mean, I, I, no real surprises here. Schitt's Creek, obviously nominated for its final season. Do you think the Levies are going to have as big of a night at the Globes as they had at the Emmys? I mean, you know, they're they're nominated uh, as they were at the Emmys for for the top prize, uh, best television series, musical or comedy, as well as all four of the acting categories for musical or comedy TV series. And I have to think that it's certainly um, a a big possibility. I think that you know, there's just a momentum with that show and. The other thing, too, is that we have to think, you know, even though these are the Hollywood Foreign Press Association members are supposed to be Los Angeles-based journalists that work for international outlets, because they work for international outlets, I also always have to kind of consider what's permeating globally, what's permeating in these in these voters' home countries or, or countries that they are writing for. And I, I do feel like uh, Schitt's Creek is one of those shows that has kind of permeated beyond the US obviously it's it's a Canadian show so we've got that extension already but i think i think that that really does help it a lot in a way that maybe some of the other shows don't i also think that perhaps emily in paris uh because literally it's paris in the name it deals with you know it's got a european setting like that could have helped that and it's also you know the globes are are notorious for always trying to highlight a young and not that Lily Collins is is fresh into the industry. She's been she's been doing great work, I think, um, for years. Some some not so great work too. But um, she's she's proven herself in the industry, so she's by no means you know a new face. Um, but similar in the way that they recognized uh, Jennifer Garner for uh, Alias, that for Gina Rodriguez for Jane the Virgin. Both of those shows, I think, were a lot more critically acclaimed than Emily in Paris. But I do think that the Globes likes to like crown the new it girl. And I think that that may be a little bit of what's going on there. But, but, you know, all of these shows, I think the fact that, um, that all of these shows are, are streaming shows is also, uh, interesting to point out. You know, that's obviously been the trend everywhere, but usually we get at least like one, maybe, um, <laughs> uh, you know, regular, at least pay cable show, but a premium cable show. But, but here they are all streaming, which is really interesting to me. I think, you know, if you're going to go with who has, you know, the most notoriety, I think it's Schitt's Creek. I think Ted Lasso has a lot of uh, momentum, though, going into this time period. a lot of goodwill, period. for sure. Yeah, I think that Ted Lasso is peaking at the right moment in terms of people continuing to find it. And, you know, Flight Attendant, I think, it got, got a spot on here, too, because it was also peaking right as they were voting. Um, hmm. all both deserving shows, but I think timing was a big factor uh, yeah. here for those, which is why I'm glad to see the great here because the great yeah. kind of had its moment earlier. I'm I'm super stoked that the Globes uh, remembered the great because I do think it's an incredibly funny show. Uh, it, it's really well made too, but um, you know there there's love for both of the lead performers as well. But, you know. It, it, Emily in Paris is very much that shiny new thing that we were talking about. And it's, it is interesting, you know, if, if this goodwill for Emily in Paris carries through, you know, in next year's nominations, you know, following the second season, because it, you know, it'll just be kind of funny in that trend with the Globes, right? Where they, they push that show like 
There's so many people who are like, I never heard of Mozart in the Jungle before that show got a Golden Globe nomination. And so, you know, their choices really are all over the place. It's not always the biggest show. Like, I do love when the Hollywood Foreign Press Association does home in on something that people are missing out on, like your Mozart in the Jungles. Um, Emily in Paris was something that was everywhere. But it's just kind of funny that that might be the successor to something like the Kaminsky Method, which is the last show that people felt like, (laughs) oh, yeah, this is being pushed on us by the HFPA. Yeah, well, we will certainly see. One of the things, you know, that you pointed out before we started recording for today's episode was how aligned um, the best performance for an actress in a television series, musical or comedy category is with the actual series. We have Lily Collins for Emily in Paris, Kaylee Cuoco for The Flight Attendant, Elle Fanning for The Great, and Catherine O'Hara for Schitt's Creek. The only difference is we don't have a Ted Lasso representation here. We have Jane Levy from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is another one that's a little, you know, off the beaten path. Um, I think she does great work on the series. Uh, I think she does. I think that work is very difficult to have to pretend or have to act uh, while people are just singing right in your face. Uh, I think she she certainly has an interesting challenge. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to see that it's being recognized. But that that is a little bit of the wild card there, given that everything else aligns. And then on the actor side of things, best actor, we have Don Cheadle for Black Monday which is not represented, but we have Nicholas Holt from The Great, Eugene Levy from Schitt's Creek, and Jason Sudeikis from Ted Lasso. Uh, and then the the final uh, entry in that category, which I think you and I both would agree is very deserving, is Rami Youssef for, for Rami. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another just great batch of nominees. Um, you know, you, you always wonder why a lead performance could get singled out and not the series. But, you know, like... Black Monday is a show that definitely continues to fly under the radar, uh, even though Don Cheadle is incredible on that show. But again, I mean, you know, you're up against, he's up against somebody like Eugene Levy. Nicholas Holt is fantastic in The Great. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, I, he has really, um, you know, and, and our review spoke to like how Ted Lasso is this, is kind of the culmination of his, the, the persona he'd been working on in Saturday Night Live. And so, yeah, there, this is a very crowded race, I think. Yes, very, very crowded. Uh, another one that's obviously going to be competitive uh, is the best television series drama. Uh, let's move on to that category. The nominees this year are The Crown, Lovecraft Country, The Mandalorian, Ozark, and Ratchet. Uh, Danette, what were your thoughts when you first saw this list come out? I kind of can't believe Ra- <laughs> I kind of can't believe Ratchet is on here, and I, I know that I think I think that's fair. Right, everybody has you know at least one of those reactions to these nominations, but I guess I'm also just there are a couple of there's at least one other pick on here. Uh, Matthew Rees, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Matthew Rees is nominated for Perry Mason. And I'm like, I, I thought both Perry Mason and Ratchet were presented as limited series, but I guess after something like Big Little Lies, you just never know anymore. And maybe this is just kind of wishful thinking, right? Like, let's get Ratchet season two. But um, I think what maybe I'm... they maybe they thought that these would be less competitive. Ca- yeah, I'm very curious on the on the entries here. Yeah, I I mean I just when you see something like Better Call Saul missing out on the best drama nomination, but Bob Odenkirk's work is recognized, you know. It, it, it's obvious that they were paying some attention, but, you know, like, y- you have to wonder how much of this is about having the flashier show. I think, I'm, I'm surprised that Lovecraft Country would get 
you know, the big nomination and yet no nominations for that cast, which was just, you know, even when I didn't think the show was coming together, the performances by Journey Smollett and uh, Jonathan Majors and, you know, even like more veteran actors like Anjanu Ellis, you know, they, they really kept that show as close to being on the tracks as it could. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, the nominations there are a little reversed to what I would have would have wanted to see. And, and I mean, you know, the, the Mandalorian, uh, the Globes are just kind of following in the footsteps of the Emmys, that, which, uh, you know, that was Disney Plus's first Emmy nomination. Um, and now they're already picking up their first Golden Globes. So, you know, the premium cable has a little more of a showing here, right? Because... You've got Lovecraft Country. I mean, and overall, HBO was on the heels of Netflix in terms of overall nominations. But, you know, again, you're just you're kind of seeing this shift toward streamer recognition. Yeah, again, I mean, you you know, you mentioned Lovecraft Country being the one actually uh, TV series that was available on actual TV, Mm -hmm. um, like a cable subscription. You know, we see no This Is Us. We see no network representation um, in in any of this. We do get Killing Eve, uh, Jodie Comer nominated, which, you know, I, I, we've discussed on this show my feelings about that that series uh, this season. Um, but I do think that Jodie, in particular, the episode where we kind of get more of her backstory, did fantastic work. So I'm very glad to see her there. But she and, as you mentioned, Bob Odenkirk and Matthew Reese are the only three actors nominated uh, for lead performances in a drama that are not from a streaming series. So we we certainly get a little bit more representation, but not a ton. I think, you know, we've mentioned Ratchet. Uh, for me, Ozark is just too too dark to watch, as we've mentioned here before. I, I think what what I've seen of it is fantastic work. I think um, from Laura Linney and 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 Jason Bateman and and you know I I think that the whole cast is fantastic. I just like I I don't enjoy watching it because I feel like I can't actually see it. Um and and there's there's factors there. You know I I think on the film side of stuff I think that there's there's those factors particularly when you're watching at home and you're not in a theater designed for like you have a, a movie like Mank. Um, and there you could see it, but like hearing it, like the uh, the the sound editing and mixing, just that movie was impossible to hear. And at a certain point, uh, it could be the most fantastic film ever. But if you can't actually enjoy it, like, I, and that's how I feel about about Ozark. I do think The Mandalorian does fantastic work. I think it's a little bit also like I also would have liked to have seen some other series recognized here over it. But I do love the show and The Crown. I thought, you know, it's it's starting. It's interesting because obviously the first couple seasons of The Crown were covering the royals during a time that we had very little knowledge about their inner workings. You know, we knew the big uh, speeches and the big press moments that they had. But even then, most of the viewers were not alive during that time. And now we're getting to a period of time in which we are much more intimately familiar with the uh, at, at least the seeming inner workings of the royal family uh, during the Diana and Charles days. And I find that it's, to me, it's, it became an even more interesting show. And that really surprised me. I thought we were going to get very soapy. And it, I mean, it is a soapy show to, the, like at the end of the day. But I think that it was really, they they maintained 
kind of the the uh, air of reverence and like still providing new information, even when dealing with somebody that was so covered in the press like Diana. So I was I was very happy to see that recognized here as well. Uh, and I agree, like like I mentioned, Lovecraft Country would have liked to have seen the actors nominated over the series. Not that the series was undeserving, but if we were only going to get either actors or the series, I would have gone with with uh, the actors. But speaking of those acting nominees, before we move on to limited series, you know, I do want to give the lead actors and actresses their due. The nominations this year are Olivia Coleman for The Crown, Jodie Comer for Killing Eve, Emma Corrin for The Crown, Laura Linney for Ozark, Sarah Paulson for Ratchet, Jason Bateman for Ozark, Josh O'Connor for The Crown, Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul, Al Pacino for Hunters, Matthew Reese for Perry Mason. A very, you know, I, I think I actually think the acting categories are are more competitive than the than the series categories here. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, to see who is victorious on on the big show. Uh, but another category that you know I think is is so interesting because we've discussed this with the Emmys having limited series and motion picture. Is it better to have them separated or together? We see the Emmys separates the big award, but combines the actors. Here, everything's combined. Um, before we get into this year's nominations, do you feel that that's fair, Danette? Or do you think that it's better to have uh, them separated like the Emmys do? Um, I, I would rather see separate categories for limited series and motion pictures made for TV because in some cases, and I mean, the the supporting actor categories are something unto themselves, right? Because they lump together recurring series, limited series, and movies, right? So the Globes are all about trying to be efficient uh, in a certain sense. But, you know, you're, it, what, you're, what you're comparing in some cases is like 20 minutes on screen compared to nine hours. And that has always struck me as very strange. And I don't quite know how they ever quantify those decisions. Um, so even if it means in future ceremonies, celebrities drink a little longer in that... Um, Which I'm sure they'd hate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, keep their shoes off a little bit longer. Um, would love to see separate categories, but uh, this is an interesting crop here because, you know, we, we talked about a show like Unorthodox when we were first kind of getting our heads around what the Emmys would look like as a virtual ceremony. And um, I think that's a show that's definitely benefited from, you know, not just previous recognition, but from people having a little more time to explore things that, you know, maybe didn't have the, didn't make the biggest splash when they debuted versus something like The Queen's Gambit, which has just, you know, kept going since last fall. Um, Small Axe, it, it's great to see recognition for that here. And it, what's funny is that, you know, obviously that's a series of films presented as an anthology and it's in this, you know, it's a part of this ongoing conversation of, you know, what's TV and what's film, but then also nested under this discussion of, oh, you know, the, the Globes have just kind of crammed all of these together. Yes. So formally, the the uh, you listed a few of them, but just to get the full the full palette on the board this year, the nominations uh, include Normal People, The Queen's Gambit, Small Axe, The Undoing, and Unorthodox. Uh, missing here is is for me the glaring omission is Miss America. Um, we have Kate Blanchett nominated in the actress category for limited series or or made for TV movie, but. 
the series itself is not nominated. And to me, like, that's just the most egregious snub in this category. I thought that show was fantastic. I thought, um, I, I, I think Kate deserves her nomination, but I think you could have nominated so many uh, more people from that show. Uh, and she is the the only representation of it in this entire list of nominations. And I just think that that's such a... a uh, disservice to the work that was done there. Uh, I, I, You can tell in my voice that I feel very passionately about this one. This is, to me, was the biggest snub of, of the entire nominations. Yeah, for, I, I mean, I, I went into this in the, the reactions that Katie and I posted to the site a couple weeks back, but um, I am still, I mean, two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, and I'm still, my mind is still boggled that I May Destroy You isn't showing up in any of these categories. Which is very fair. Especially when you have something like The Undoing, which, you know, I, I get wanting to recognize, in particular, Hugh Grant's performance. Um, for me, Nicole Kidman doesn't come close to her portrayal in Big Little Lies in terms of, like, the the character. But, um, yeah, I, The Undoing is something that never came together for me. It ha- it, and it all led up to this super obvious ending and i'm very confused about you know if if you're going to pick an hbo limited series how you can choose that over i may destroy you but it's something that we talked about a bit a week ago or so on uh kqed's forum uh i went on that podcast and we talked about the idea of difficult viewing or challenging viewing and how for some people that automatically translates to impossible, right? I mean, we saw this with When They See Us. You know, Ava DuVernay's work is fantastic, and it was great to see Jarell Jerome ultimately recognized by the Emmys for his performance. But, I, you know, I, especially in this time of, like, the comfort watch being the go-to, you know, I, I think some people just mistook something that was a bit more challenging as something that would be impossible to watch. And, you know, that 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 is my hope for why <laughs> there's no recognition at all for Michaela Cole's fantastic work there, both as a writer, a director, a performer, and you know, I mean, Phoebe Waller Bridge gets a lot of credit for being the visionary behind Fleabag, and I feel Michaela Cole is easily on that level, if not uh, above it, and it's it it confuses me why. There is just no recognition for that limited series in this crop of nominees at all. Uh, Agreed. I mean, to also bring it to a a larger picture, I mean, this category more than any of the others is is lacking in diversity in a a fairly significant way. Um, So obviously that is a part of the conversation too of why it would have been fantastic to see her represented here. You know, I I think... um, there, there's important stories being told in all of these uh, series, I, I believe, but it would have been nice to have seen Michaela's story represented here as well. But let's speak a little bit to the the acting nominees that their series weren't recognized here because the overlap is significant, again, um, just as in some of the other categories. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have Kate Blanchett from Miss America, but we do have Daisy Edgar-Jones from Normal People, Shira Haas for Unorthodox, Nicole Kidman for The Undoing, and Anna Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit. Uh, so... Kate Blanchett is the only one nominated here, and we see small acts not have any representation here. And again, to your point, 
Uh, we have a whole series to look at, you know, we have, you know, multiple episodes of fantastic work from Kate Blanchett versus Because Small Acts was a, an anthology series of films. Uh, each actress would really only have had her film to show uh, here. So there's just less material to be impressed by. And not that you can't be impressive in five minutes on screen, but I, I do think that that's maybe a little bit of a factor here, which is which is interesting. But uh, I, I'm very glad to see Shira Haas here. Uh, you, we've already discussed Nicole Kidman. And, you know, I, I don't, I think The Queen's Gambit is great. Uh, there's some other stuff, as I mentioned, that maybe I would have wanted to see. Maybe not over Queen's Gambit, but I, I do think that Anna Taylor-Joy is just a, a, no pun intended, a joy to watch. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad she's getting recognition at the very least. In looking at the Best Actor nominations, there's almost a lack of an overlap because you have actors like Brian Cranston nominated for Your Honor, which just recently wrapped, uh, Jeff Daniels for The Comey Rule. We've talked about Hugh Grant in The Undoing. Uh, Mark Ruffalo taking on the the latest Marvel actor to take on a dual role on television, <laughs> uh, for I Know This Much Is True, and Ethan Hawke for The Good Lord Bird. We haven't talked a ton about who our favorites are in some of these categories, but Ethan Hawke easily gave one of my favorite performances of the last year. So he's definitely uh, my favorite in this category. I mean, I kind of am rooting for Mark Ruffalo to win just because I want his wife to be like freaking out in the in the shot <laughs> in the virtual ceremony again. <laughs> I thought that was one of the like best moments. People either loved or hated it. I thought that was one of the best moments of the Emmys this past fall. Uh, so for so for that reason alone, he's kind of who I'm rooting for. But it's a very strong category. Um, I kind of forgot about the Comey rule, so I'm a little surprised to see that represented here. I think. Jeff Daniels is a fantastic actor, but I think that piece in general is just kind of blah. So I, you know, I, he, he's not a front runner for me while I, while I love him. Um, and it is interesting, as you noted, how there is very little, um, overlap here. Uh, you, you have literally just Hugh Grant for the undoing is the only, uh, actor nominated from any of the series that are up for the big award. Um, but I also think that that's a testament to the great stories that were kind of pushed by female characters this year uh, in in all of these categories. Um, so that's that's something positive and something to celebrate is that we really told some some fantastic stories that really highlighted uh, some fantastic actresses. It's you know I, I think when we look into what the show is going to be like uh, as as I mentioned obviously we've got Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosting. It's going to be this virtual bi coastal fusion of uh, in-studio and at home and all this kind of stuff similar to the Emmys. Uh, Katie, Reif, and I next week will be getting a little bit more into what we expect from that kind of hybrid uh, ceremony, particularly for something as usually a party as the Golden Globes are, Danette. But uh, is, is there anything in particular that you're, that you're looking forward to the most or, uh, or a, if you were to pick a category that you're most excited to see who the winner is, what would you say as your, as your main takeaway of your anticipation of the ceremony? My, my real question is something that's more uh, about logistics, um, because it was recently announced that the Globes will attempt to do what the Emmys did, and it's have the presenters in person, right? Like showing up and kind of filming that live. I, you know, I, I wonder what will be different from, you know, how the Emmys handled that. Um, I would love to see somebody show up 
much more casually dressed because I, I, I have to admit, I my mind was kind of blown when I saw people, you know, in full evening wear um, when you would think that this would be their opportunity to kind of get away with something else. So we'll see if the Globes are known for being a little more unconventional, a little less formal. Um, I'm really hoping somebody shows up to present an award in their pajamas. Let's hope for it, because that's how I'll be watching. So, <laughs> you know, stars, they're just like us <laughs> in their pajamas. Let's hope so. Uh, well, you certainly all can find out on Sunday, February 28th, the award show kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on NBC. We will be checking it out on avclub.com. Danette, thank you. I know you'll be busy working that evening as well. Um, so we appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we will certainly have you back on after the show to discuss everything that's happened. But I thank you for being on today. Thanks. Yeah. Well, if you are listening, please don't go anywhere because we are not done just yet. Recently, our senior writer, Katie Reif, got to sit down with Nicole Bahari of Miss Juneteenth. Everybody, it's Katie Rice, senior writer for the AV Club here on Push the Envelope. I'm here with Nicole Bihari. Hi, Nicole. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Miss Juneteenth, which is a, a film that really uh, played South by Southwest last year, of course, the virtual edition, and then kind of took off over the last summer. It's been kind of a crazy trajectory for this film, huh? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a wild one. We, we went to Sundance in January. I wasn't there for South by Southwest, but we went to Sundance, uh, last January before everything happened. And, uh, since then we had a release June 19th during all the lockdowns and the protests and everything. And then I guess because everyone was stuck at home, they were watching, some people got to watch our movie. (laughs) (laughs) I got to stream it and watch the movie and I yeah. uh, think, you know, I guess, I, I guess we got some eyes on it. You know, it's a tiny movie. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually uh, just amazed that, um, that, you know, people are watching it and continue to watch it and talk about it. Uh, did you have any experience with beauty pageants going into this film? Like, uh, no, no, no. Actually I had, I had, you know, Katie, I had like a, negative sort of relationship to beauty pageants. My sister is obsessed with them. Okay. Like she would watch the Miss whatever universe, world, South Carolina, Texas, what just like all of the pageants that you could possibly watch. And she would just kind of like rate women. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what people do. They just right. like, oh, she's prettier. I like her better. I like her dress. I don't like, and I always had like, I don't know. I just never, it just never sat well with me. So my understanding of pageants were sort of like the Trump pageants from the, you know, eighties and nineties. And, 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 and I guess, I guess recently, uh, but this, once I read the script and spoke to the writer director, Channing Godfrey Peoples, she, she was like, no, 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 it's different. It's like scholastic. It's all about history and scholarship. And it's not about like, you know, your, your aesthetic physical form. It's about the community and just sort of rooting these young ladies in confidence and in the community. And I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so it was, it was very different than what I thought a pageant was going to be. And also that sort of affected how I ended up playing turquoise, playing my, my character, because again, initially a certain kind of pageant mom or woman who had formally won the pageant would, would, I think, carry herself a particular way, you know, (laughs) right? Like I'm thinking, you know, big, 
Texas hair and lashes and nails and all that stuff. And it was like, oh, exactly, exactly. But it was like, it was like, oh no, it's not that kind of pageant. It's not that kind of world. I see. Okay. It's, 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 um, a more pared down situation, Mm -hmm. more about like like survival and access Mm -hmm. than anything. So, yeah. So the film takes place in Fort Worth, Texas. Did you do any kind of accent work when you were building this character? Yeah, I went down a little bit early, um, maybe maybe like a week and a half. I asked initially when I got the script, because Channing, this is about her neighborhood. This is about her community and the people who kind of raised and inspired her. And so she made it very clear that she was very specific about wanting to bring that to life. And that also we'd be acting with other locals, that there would be like non-professional actors and um, locals that would be working with. So I didn't want to stand out like a sore thumb and then ask for some dialect tapes while I was in New York and then came down a little early and worked at the bar that, you know, my character runs. And um, yeah, just, I mean, it's not like I was working there, working. It was like, I probably was there for like a day or something like, you know, just kind of taking in the ropes and seeing what everybody does and hanging out. Okay. But, um, yeah, I just sort of worked on that. We don't speak alike, <laughs> but it was, it was important. It was important to actually go down because on the tape, you can hear the differences and make them, but you have to see the way people move their faces and their jaw or like not move. You know what I mean? That's like the way that the way that someone's, um, uh, machinery, you know, sort of, sort of works is, is, is a big part of how we communicate too. So I think there were some things that I heard. And then when I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's how they're doing it with their jaw there. You know? So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I know you weren't like working, working there, but I just want to follow up a little bit. So when you were at the bar that's in the film, did everybody kind of know like, oh, this is the actress who's coming to town to be in a movie or were you kind of trying to do it undercover? <laughs> um, well, I had somebody there with me from the film, okay. like one of the producers who had already been in there. So they, I think a few people like, you know, the owner, obviously, and some of the waitresses knew because I was behind the bar and they're like, why is this this lady here? (laughs) You know, but I don't think, I don't necessarily think the people that were in the bar all knew what was, you know, like what was going on. I was just kind of, it was, you know, I've actually worked as, as a hostess and as, as a waiter back in the day. Right. Right. So, you know, I know that, that, that sort of, what is that called? Shadowing. I was shadowing. I was shadowing. It was like day one shadowing <laughs> where the person shows you the ropes and it was like, now you pour the Coke. Now you do this. What do you say here? You know, kind of thing. And so I've just, I just put my head down and did everything that she told me to do. And it was, it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. So this film, uh, you said that the director, writer-director, Channing Godfrey Peoples, uh, it's a very specific neighborhood that she grew up in. So you were shooting on location for most of the film. Was that the case? For all of it. Okay. Yeah, we were shooting in Fort Worth and most of the locations are, you know, local, um, even sometimes family and friend-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Did that inform how you played the character? You talked about, you know, um, seeing the way people move when they talk and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, being in the environment is, is extremely supportive. It's, it sort of gives you the permission to disappear even more, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And and also an obligation. (laughs) 
to, to, to just sort of, I don't want to say fade in, but to, to, to blend in a little bit, make right. sure you, you match. Right. Um, so the, your character in this film, Turquoise, so she's a character, she takes on a lot, you know, she has two jobs, she's raising her daughter, she has these goals for her daughter that, you know, your daughter doesn't necessarily want to do, but she just seems to me like the type of person who is doing everything for other people and not a lot for herself. How did you embody that in your performance? Hmm. I mean, it was written there. I just did what the script told me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, other than, other than really loving her, Mm -hmm. um, you doing all the things that, that, I think, you know, any parent would do, mm-hmm. she just doesn't have the support. She's one of the things about the story is that she's looking and expecting in the beginning for a certain kind of support from her husband, her estranged husband and for her, from her mother, from uh, Kai, who's played by Alexis Chikese, her grandmother. And when she discovers, and probably it's not the first time she's experiencing this, but it's, you know, it's like, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like, okay, I keep relying on these people and they're not coming through. So I have to do it on my own and in my own way. And then she just becomes very determined um, and kind of, kind of Mm -hmm. narrow-minded. Now now that I'm outside of it, you know, when you're playing it, you, you don't want to pass that kind of judgment, but kind of um, narrow-minded in, in, in how she thinks that Kai can succeed and thrive as a young woman um, and really pressures her into participating in this, this pageant in order to get, it's not just about the pageant though, it's, it's like in order to get a scholarship so that right. she can go to you know, college because honestly, Turquoise can't afford it right now on, this, on the paycheck to paycheck, you know, multiple hustling three jobs kind of thing. But, but as her daughter starts to come into her own and question things and expresses herself in her own way, she starts to turquoise starts to question why she hasn't taken greater ownership of her gifts in the way that she's been um, contributing to her community and ends up, you know, owning a business. Mm-hmm. I hope I can that. I hope I can say that. I can say that, right? Yeah. It's not the kind of movie that I would really be super concerned about spoilers, honestly. What was your onset relationship like with Alexis Chikese, who is playing your daughter? Oh, she was a dream. She was such a dream. It was, it was, you know, at first I was a little nervous because I knew I was going to be in almost every frame of this bad boy. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had another actress and then she pulled out and then I was already, I was actually already in Texas and I had to read with a few options, you know, a few young actresses who came in and Alexis was one of them and she was just so terrific. Um, of course, a little nervous and excited, but, but like very competent and playful. Um, and I just, I, I had hoped it was her. And then when they said that it was her, it was my goal henceforward to just sort of make it as as fluid and just make it second nature to be together you know so in the same way that I think Turquoise wanted her daughter Kai to succeed I I also wanted Alexis to succeed you know what I mean like I wanted to support her first time she's a first time actress her first time being in a movie she made a terrific debut she's so 
focused and learn. I mean, like your first time in a movie, you're just trying to figure out where to stand. Like where my mark, <laughs> how, how do I get here without looking down at the tape? You know, like stuff like that, like just little technical things. And you just kind of, you just kind of make it easy. And yeah, it was one of the joys of like seeing her every day grow exponentially. And um, I'm proud to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm sure the world is going to see more from her. She's in college now. Oh my God. And I'm sure she'll, she'll, you know, she'll come out and, and take over. <laughs> Man, art imitating life, huh? Or life imitating art, I guess. <laughs> it's a huge, it was actually a huge gift. Yeah. It was, it, it was a big gift because, you know, being in this sort of sorority of actors or actresses, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a very peculiar lifestyle. And also it's one of the funny things that she was like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be like. Like people think it's very glamorous. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're, you're in Texas working in the middle of the night and mosquitoes are getting you and you got to pretend. She's like, it's hot, my hair. And this is like, yeah, this is part of it. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> so, you know, it's a very particular uh, life and so it's kind of fun to share it with someone else and see someone for the first time, see all the ins and outs of it, but also kind of fall in love with it. And I, I think I saw her um, realize that this is what she wanted to do. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one thing that I really like about this film, and I think it speaks to the style of performance, uh, your, your performance in particular, but all the actors in the film is that it does deal with, you know, like there, there's conflicts, but there, it's not overplayed. There's, it's more real. It's, I found that it was very realistic in the way that uh, the, the relationships played out. Was that something that you were going for in the performance? I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> not overplayed. I don't know. Yeah. No. Um, so were you just kind of trying to like be there and be in that moment and kind of like- yeah you're just being natural I'm not like oh I don't want to overplay this I mean this is how this person would do it right that's, that's all I know <laughs> you know based on the environment and the people that I was around and the way she was written this is how she would do it I think you know and some of the some it's not like it's my the actress's way of doing it mm. you know if, if I were playing a different character character I might play the scenes completely differently and I can actually watch it and see how they could be played differently but um yeah this is this is this person she's very minimal about communication and relying on other people in in in, in certain in in many ways like there could be there's no big grand monologue or soliloquy of my pain or my dreams or you know all that none of that really happens it's all in the activity and even sometimes in the physicality right? and the touch and the proximity to other people and things like that. So those are the only things that I could think of that I was conscious about, sort of the choreography of movement and when, when the drive, when she's more on the gas and when okay. she's kind of observing. But no, I was, I, I definitely wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to underplay this. Let's <laughs> just, that's what she is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the physicality you were talking about—that's super interesting. Is there any particular example of that that you can think of that you use that in the film? Uh, there's a scene where Turquoise is signing Kai up for the pageant, uh-huh. and she's like back in her old stomping grounds with all the fancy ladies. Mm-hmm. The you know, and there's like you know her shoulders are like slightly lifted. You can just feel there's a 
uh, sort of an air and an uncomfortable way she's carrying herself versus sometimes when she's at the bar, you mm-hmm. know, or, or when she's alone with Ronnie, you know, in bed or in, in the kitchen, uh, there's just a different way of sort of like carrying yourself. And a lot of it, I think would manifest in the shoulders and, and, and good stuff. Also, I had on these cowboy boots because I sprained my ankle. Oh my God. At a certain point. <laughs> I thought it was just like a Texas thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are people that wear cowboy boots, but the, that particular look was like, maybe not the way we were going initially. And then it was like, okay, well, we got to do this. Um, and it was an, it, it was an option in our fittings, but then it turned into a necessity because I had on, I had to wear like either a brace or some sort of, you know, wrap. And so, uh, you know, I ended up uh, wearing that, uh, the cowboy boots a great deal, or the, those ugly little black socks. People were like, what's going on? Why does she have on those black socks? Because we're trying to hide my, my ankle brace. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so that, that sort of affected, you know, I was, I was working on it still. I, I, I don't feel like I slowed down or anything like that, but it slightly affected maybe the pace for, for me. But what's funny is Channing, um, Channing likes sort of a, a much slower pace. And there were actually some scenes where, you know, I'm speaking kind of fast or I'm cleaning the cleaning up the kitchen quickly because I'm used to either TV or, you know, being maybe not being the lead. You're used to like driving things, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so you just got like, like, let's, like, let's get it done. And she'd always be like, Hey, can we do that again? You just kind of slow it down. I'm like what? when you cut this, I'm thinking in my head, like when you cut this movie together, it's going to take forever, you know, but, um, you go with it. And I realized that that's just a part of her aesthetic, which is providing a kind of spaciousness for characters that are underrepresented. So you, you talked about character and how, you know, a lot of your decision-making the film was driven by character. Is that the way that you like to act generally, you know, or are you, do you go for more like of an intuitive approach? Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. <laughs> I beat you up, Katie. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, wow. I love talking about technique. I think it's so interesting. Yeah, I think it's probably character. This is my first time actually being in the environment of anything. And it's my first time working with someone who knows the environment and who wrote it and, you know, like the whole thing more, more than we do. No, that's wrong, actually, because when I did 42, Rachel Robinson was on set sometimes and I I, I had, I got to do some, had some conversations with her and she obviously knows more than anyone what actually happened with Jackie Robinson in his life. And she was, she was actually there, but, um, yeah, I feel like it's always about character. Cause you don't always get environment. Sometimes like I recently shot two other things and we're working during COVID we're on, you know, sound stages that are extremely, uh, sterile and, 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 and like, like in every, in every way, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just that we can be safe. So you're not getting a little, a lot of environmental input. You're just having to bring it yourself, bring it onto the, onto the lot and, and, and onto the screen. So, yeah, I think the character stuff is just like respecting the script and then having a conversation with the director about what their intentions are and what the character means to them and, you know, what they really want to see and, you know, going through the scenes, um, we don't always get rehearsal time. Right. I didn't really get that on this project um, to like rehearse and read through things, but 
I felt like I had a good feeling for what her intentions were and, and, uh, the people who inspired it. So, yeah. Well, one more question. Speaking of character, um, Turquoise is a very nostalgic person. She really looks back. Mm. Um, are you a nostalgic person? (laughs) So funny because I've been, I actually have been thinking about that and I realized I'm not really. Yeah. I'm not. And maybe, maybe that was one of the things that was interesting in, in playing her. Mm-hmm. Even, I hope that this, that, that this doesn't sound weird, but even like talking about this feels strange to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, we did this like two, like two years ago. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm always like, sure. like, oh, I got to go back into my memory of like, oh, like Texas 20, 2019 or, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm not really, but I think that there was something really beautiful about getting to play someone who really is. And then even larger than that, the community is, is nostalgic, right. right? The community, this is Juneteenth. Miss Juneteenth is a pageant, but Juneteenth is a holiday that's like commemorated that should probably be commemorated, not probably, should be commemorated nationwide, which is right. the end, the, the final abolition of slavery, which is two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. right? And so this community has always celebrated this and has a, a great deal of reverence for mom and pop restaurants and like supporting the community and, and, and keeping all their small businesses afloat. I'm playing a character in the community, but being there, I actually got to feel it and see it and also feel the support that was there for our writer director for Channing. And I can see why you would be nostalgic if you have your roots so deeply laid in your community and in the history and how you got here. And like, like I said, my family was in the service moving around. So I, I, I never really had that kind of relationship with a place before. Okay. And so playing her, I, I sort of had that, that relationship with a place that comes with a sort of obligation, a responsibility to make the people proud and to sort of fit in in a particular way not just because you want to survive or you want to adapt, but because these are your people, like really, you know, fully your people. And I think that that would breed a, a, a really loving kind of nostalgia. So I, I feel like I, I, I understand that more than I did before doing this part, because I, maybe I've been a little mystified by that. Like, why are people so like, can't, can't we just move forward? This is the past, you know, like, you know, about, about, um, you know, just like certain things or like just not wanting to let go of even <laughs> I have a family member who's a little bit of a hoarder and I'm like, I don't get it. It's like, you know, there's so many memories in that house and, and, and with that stuff, you know, that's something I've never really understood. But turquoise is that way in the beginning. And then she kind of steps into the future, which is more of um, where I like to live which is not necessarily healthy either, by the way. <laughs> like probably better to be in the present, you know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but my mind doesn't wander into like, what's the future going to be? What's the plan? What's plan? You know? It's all about balance, right? Yeah. You know, that's what they say. <laughs> they say. <laughs> 
that's going to about do it for this week's episode of Push the Envelope. But if you want to check out Nicole Bahari's Gotham award-winning performance in Miss Juneteenth, that film is available on Video On Demand. And Push the Envelope will continue to be available wherever you get your podcasts every Thursday. So please remember to subscribe and like and comment. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are about the upcoming Golden Globes. Uh, if you have any favorites to win or snubs and surprises that really shocked you, we definitely want to hear it. Let us know in the comments wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know on abclub.com or you can find me on social at Patrick Gomez LA. Uh, but until next week, bye. This episode of the AV Club's Push the Envelope was brought to you by producer Michaela Heck and sound engineer Ryan Allen.